Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Paradox podcast with me, Daniel Goldberg, you, Shams Johnny, say hello. Hello everyone. And our special guest, Ashkan, producer hello. Ash. Hey, happy welcome to be here. Welcome to the podcast, Ashkan. And the last episode of the season, I believe. The last episode of the year. And the year. Season. And yeah, season, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, this will be the last episode of season two yeah. of the Paradox podcast. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about what being a producer is like, because that's what you do here at Paradox, uh, Ashkan. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hear your, you know, your words of wisdom and you, you know, you sharing. <laughs> He's your, already laughing. <laughs> your, your war stories from the trenches and, and all of that stuff. Um, but let's do the sort of normal uh, recap. I mean, it's been a while since we, we did one of these. Uh, Shams, you've ended up with a, a new job uh, <laughs> or yet, yet another job. You're now uh, running... White Wolf Entertainment. Yeah. So, so do you the, want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. Sure. I can uh, delve in. It's a big topic. It's almost its own uh, episode. We can do its own season on that. <laughs> entire season. Yeah. No. So uh, uh, a bit of a background. Then three years. Um, yeah, exactly. Three years ago, Paradox bought White Wolf, a, a series of IPs belonging to the World of Darkness from CCP. We then set them up as a own company that we're supposed to run as a kind of a licensing unit and kind of... Um, take care of the IPs until we got to a point where the very cool games based on those IP would yeah. be coming out. And as you know, it takes a couple of years to make games. Uh, during those kind of years, they did a lot of good things. But uh, one thing that also happened was that they kind of veered off course from what they were supposed to do, which was to act as a licensing unit and have other people make the games. So they uh, started making in-house products uh, and they had a lot of strengths, but it was you know very clear that we steered off from the original intent, which to have really professional people who are good at making RPG books carry on that. And it's not a matter of necessarily quality, it's also about focus. Paradox wants to have a scalable operation and have as many people as possible. And if we're spending our precious time writing stuff, we can't enable other people to do that. So uh, earlier this fall, I was asked to step in and kind of take a look at the business. And what we've done is that we've done a little bit of a separation of church and state. So we've taken the business aspects of White Wolf and folded them into my business unit at Paradox. And I've uh, then we've taken the brand team functions and kind of... uh, uh, clean that up and had them focus on what they are, uh, do best, which is providing guidance to our external studios. Yeah. So it's been... I, I haven't probably worked this much since Magical <laughs> was released uh, about uh, seven seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's been a very exciting time. And it's one of those cases where you say exciting and there could be five books that goes into that word exciting. <laughs> so it's been very fun. I haven't had this fun. So thank you, Ebba, for giving me the opportunity. I have so, so much fun. So much fun at work, right? Yeah, exactly. No, but it's exciting. I mean, it's... it's uh... It's. Uh, I think. I think the the cool thing about White Wolf is that the the sort of catalog of IPs, Vampire, The Masquerade, uh, Werewolf, Mage, and all of that stuff is just super cool. Yeah. And there's so much depth, and there's like so no. much potential to do all sorts of no, amazing it, things. It's nuts. I had. Uh, I I played a little bit of Vampire. I was familiar with the IPs yeah. before we bought them. I used to play them. Mage actually back in the day. There you go. Yeah. During the course of the past few weeks, we had a statement and we put my email out there and people yeah. could email me. And I got about 400 emails yeah. ranging from all kinds of topics. The Some of them I forwarded to you. Mm-hmm. And I have, during the course of these conversations with folks, I've had such a eye-opening experience for the 
amazing capacity for these IPs. People are so incredibly smart about the depth and breadth and potential of these IPs yeah. that it's been like, I, I, I sat there dumbstruck. Yeah, I agree. At, I, don't, I do not think that we fully realized what we were buying at the time. No. At the, And I think somebody described it as that, you know, uh, we're all big fans of the Marvel IP, but I have a, you know, the the spectrum of which kind of movies or medium or subject matters you could yeah. talk about with the Marvel IPs yeah. is somewhat limited compared to where the world of darkness could go. So I think we have so much smart people in the community that totally get it yeah. and have so many smart ideas for how we, we could do stuff. So in many ways, this is very exciting because it allows us to refocus and allow more World of Darkness products to come out mm-hmm. at a faster pace with more partners and at a at a broader range. We'll have more fan products, we'll have more Kickstarter products, we'll have more big big ticket item stuff and really big stuff as well across the entire spectrum. Uh, Do you want to tell us a bit about what's, I mean, how much how much can you share? Because, you, you know, about what's in the pipeline. Um, I mean, we're talking about setting this up as a, as a more of a uh, focus brand management operation, licensing these IPs out to 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 people. Exactly. Where we think it makes sense, right? So well, by well, the time this airs, yeah. uh, we'll have announced that the V5 product line will yeah. have been handed off to uh, Modifius, yeah. and as a part of that, we should be focusing on what we're good at, and they should be focusing on what they're good at. They're an excellent company in charge of making pen and paper RPGs. They made the Star Trek RPG. They've helped Fia Liga with a bunch of their products. So they're going to take the the V5 product line and deliver a couple of hard-hitting, really good uh, supplements and books every year and be the stewards of the V5 product line. V5, for those who who might not know, is Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition, which is the most recent uh, sort of pen and paper hardcover book that's been put out by Exactly, and the focus for them is going to be just uh, give the RPG players exactly what they want and need for that product line while we focus on other things. And then we'll start start up conversations with other folks that are really good at making RPGs to do Werewolf 5th Edition or Mage 5th Edition. Maybe you, Daniel, yeah. want to start up a part-time I, business that's, and do Mage I'm, I'm going to do that, man. Hopefully not. Who, who do I call? Do I call you? Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. I'll write it. I'll uh, draw, do everything myself. So that's what's going to happen on the RPG pen and paper segment. Uh, then for PDXCon, we have a bunch of exciting stuff planned. We had a lot of uh, uh, board game presence there last year, and I hope we'll be able to do more stuff there. And then 2019 is going to be probably the most exciting year in White Wolf history since Paradox Purchase. When are we getting like uh, a TV series based off of Vampire the Masquerade? Oh, when that... are we going to see Vampire <laughs> the Masquerade on Netflix? Tell us. I, uh, no comments. No comments. No comments. Exciting. Right? exciting. But it's it's very exciting, good times. And we actually have now opened up a position for a brand manager. Yes. So if you are interested in uh, shepherding and helping out, sh- shaping the world of darkness and working with some of the best licensors in the world, to create World of Darkness products, we really want you to apply and help shape and create a team and shape a team and shape the future of uh, uh, the White Wolf products. This and is, uh, I think, this is this job is like a once in a lifetime job of opportunity. I think for yeah. for the right person, this is. Uh, I can't imagine a more challenging, but also more satisfying and more interesting job, an exciting job to have. Definitely a paradox, maybe in this industry. To be yeah, honest. exactly. Yeah. Nice. So if you want, if you want to do this, the job ad is live. Be the brand manager of White Wolf Entertainment and help us take these amazing properties into the future. Career.paradoxplaza.com <laughs> We'll put a link in the podcast description. Exactly. Maybe. We'll probably forget, but we'll try to remember. Cool. Anyway, uh, what have we been playing then? What, what's, what have you been playing, Ashkan? What's, what's, been, what's been occupying your time outside of, outside of work? 
Well, I had stomach issues over the weekend, so starting um, right, you know, this is good good detail from the what a salesman. Yeah. So I was in the bathroom half the weekend. Okay, uh, oh, it gets better. Yeah, and that meant Super Mario Odyssey. I, yeah. I haven't oh. played the Switch before yeah. at oh. all. All right, uh, but I borrowed it from a friend over over Christmas. Yeah. Does he know that you used it in the bathroom <laughs> while you were ill? He will know by the time this podcast goes live. For Fantastic! Sure. This yeah. is a good friend right here. Yeah. Uh, so super, I've, I've, I was positively surprised because I've, I've tried to get into Nintendo games before Zelda, Super Mario. This was really the first time I, I really managed. So seriously, the first time you've gotten into a Mario game was this game? Yes. Yeah. No Mario 64? No? Not really. Hey, I mean, I guess Mario okay. Party and stuff, okay. but yeah. Cool. How about you, Shams? Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say Magic Arena because that's what yeah. I've been playing. Uh, but I've been playing Smash Bros. on oh, the nice. Switch. Yeah. It's uh, the original on the N64. It's my all-time favorite game um, after TIE Fighter. And then I've played a ton of XCOM 2, The Long War, mm-hmm. War of the Chosen, with the expansion and the mod. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, not on Switch, though, right? No, 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 for sure not. It's on PC. Uh, and it's uh, and I bought a new gaming computer to be able to play Battlefield Five in 4K as well. So that's 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 good. I've been playing a lot because I've also... You've been on holiday. I've had, no, I've been on holiday, but I also had the winter vomit disease, as we say in Sweden. So oh, I've had man. A, this is, uh, been in quarantine at home. Yeah. With your with my uh, switch with your new uh, 4K <laughs> Battlefield setup. Exactly. I've been on uh, Diablo on the Switch, uh, as I promised in the last podcast. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's really good. Uh, it I I have to be honest though, nothing kind of uh, nothing compares to Magic Arena right now because no. I just keep going back to that. Yeah, it's what I do before I go to bed. It's what I do for breakfast. Yeah, uh, you know, if I wasn't so insanely busy. Because we're coming up to Christmas, I'd probably sneak away at work as well to yeah. get get a few games in. You know, just to complete the hat trick. Playing yeah. Diablo on the Switch. Yeah, not on the toilet. Not though. on the toilet. No. Okay, good. This was so in my, no, no like, hat trick in my sofa and in my bedroom. Okay, stuff, fantastic. So. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, let's get started. So, Ashkan, again, welcome to the podcast. Great mm-hmm. to have you here. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what you do at Paradox. So, you're a producer. Indeed. Can you start by telling us what that means? <laughs> <laughs> producer, or as some people call it, prod user, which is half of our work. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I actually used to work at Ubisoft before, and it's interesting because when you say producer in the industry, yeah. you don't usually think about what, what we do here at Paradox because we're on the publishing side of things. I did the same thing at, at Ubisoft, but there it's called a line producer. Right. So the terminology may differ, and EA producer means something completely different, right? Um, so what it means here is basically... Um, when Paradox as a company makes an investment into a project, uh, whether it's internal or external, um, a fundamental question is, how do they know that that investment is going well? Mm-hmm. How do they keep track of it? How do they know if it's uh, promising or not, if they should spend more marketing money on it, less marketing money, if there are issues to fix, and so on. So we're there to fulfill that fundamental need. Um, so in a way, we're reporting to the people here who care about business. We're helping out the marketing team in different ways to do a good job. Uh, but then on the other side, you have a need for the studio as well, because as soon as they're you know, being financed by Paradox, regardless of what the contract and the setup looks like, and regardless of whether they're internal or, or external, they have someone to answer to in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. They have processes to follow. They have uh, expectations that are sometimes not expressed, or not or usually most expectations are, you know, obviously not in the contract. So, how do we? How do they know what to do? 
who, who handholds them through that whole process. So that's the other side of it is our responsibility towards the studio to keep them in the loop on everything, know how things work and deliver in as good of a way as possible, giving them the best conditions possible yeah. to deliver. So, so for example, you've been the producer on uh, Battletech, which is one of one of the new games we released uh, this year. Um, so it's, would it be fair to say that Harebrained Schemes, which are the developers of that game, their main contact point at Paradox, as in the publisher, is you? So uh, I work with them every day with different people there. It can be people on the studio management level or it could be people on the project management level. And um, yeah, we talk all the time. We have a close relationship. Part of my work is to build a strong relationship with them and have a lot of sharing with each other and honesty with each other and trust to each other. So I uh, naturally, we producers become the main point of contact. Although, of course, you have the product marketing manager as well, who is in close contact with them, usually a different set of people. So when it comes to marketing stuff, they are sort of a key contact. So so it's safe to say that you're very close. You're the closest uh, touch point to the the studios. How do you avoid uh, the Stockholm Syndrome? Uh, which is essentially <laughs> becoming too close to the to the other party and and start you know taking their sides against paradox interest versus and I'm talking in general terms like how do you because this is this is something that applies to all business when you're working very closely with a partner you're a defense contractor how do you end up not being Boeing's lead guy at the Department of Defense good question uh, bribes usually not <laughs> um, so it is a really good question because we naturally are supposed to be champions of the studio here at Paradox. Yeah. We try to speak well of them. We try to highlight all the positive stuff they've done. And, uh, because you have the perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if we don't do it, no one else will. You know, we, we, have, we, we contribute that to Paradox. Um, and then also, naturally, when you're working on a project, it's not as fun to be writing reports for managers at Paradox as it is to work a bit more hands-on with the studio. You become close to the studio. You care about the game, the product, you're playing it, right? So you become a bit biased and, and your passion lies a lot with the project. So you gravitate towards them and become their champion. Um, so I think that one fundamental factor here is the personality of the typical producer, which is someone who is often rather skeptical, question things, and has a clear understanding that it is his job. He has a strong responsibility that if this project fails, if it does a bad job, if it doesn't deliver on expectations, etc., then he is accountable. So, so you have to be a hater. <laughs> in some ways, I suppose, yes. Uh, so I think that I can't speak for everyone, but for my personality, um, you know, even if I am best friends with them and I love the product, I, I can't overlook any issues that we have and I have that constant analytical mind that is trying to you know find issues and fix them right and I think that in general we do a good job of that I I think very rather rarely do we get feedback that is like uh, you know that we're just letting things slide and we're you know being buddies with the studio too much but it has happened for sure so this is uh, this kind of relates to to something that I find quite interesting which is um, you know the the sort of the tension or the balance or however you want to phrase it between you know creative and commerce. So the business side of of what we do, which is video games, and the sort of creative or the art may, might be. Well, yeah. I, mean, I think creative might be the right yeah. word, right? Because we're we're you know we're in the business of and we're all passionate about making these amazing games, right? And we want to make good games that people love and people play. 
but we're also here to make money, right? We're, and we're, as a company, I think Paradox is quite passionate about making money, making money <laughs> and sort of all levels of the organization. Um, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on that as a producer. I mean, how, how do you see, how do you see that? The business aspects. Yeah, exactly. Into what are the sort of the business, business aspects of your of your work? Is it is it only about making sure you know this game's going to be hundred percent Metacritic scored? It's going to be a fantastic work of art, or or is is there sort of the cold hard business side of things? Is that an important part of your work as well? Would you say? I would say that um, the way it plays into our role is not through our KPIs being you know business related specifically, yeah. but it is more about us being. Having a strong collaboration and openness with the product team on the paradox side, mm-hmm. because uh, the product team consists of a marketing person, a business person essentially, and us producer is a project manager. And generally, we all have a very good relationship where we understand that they have their needs. We understand that the business case needs to make sense. Yeah. So what we do is, you know, the business case is mostly based on the producers let's say, uh, validation of different numbers. So how much is the project going to cost? Uh, are we going to, like, what level of quality would we achieve here? Where are the weaknesses going to be? Uh, we have to make sure that it's hitting the sort of customer targets that we want to hit, like what features are in the game that'll fulfill those needs that the business team has for their forecast. Mm-hmm. So um, we feed a lot of data into the people who do care about business and it's their primary concern and responsibility. And we have to be open to whatever they say to us and the requests they give give to us in the sense that if they tell us we need to fundamentally change the kind of game we're making or we have to work with a different IP because we don't think this is going to sell well enough, then we're completely open to that and we have to adapt to that. So we directly, we have the luxury of not having to worry about uh, the business case day to day. Mm -hmm. But with each milestone, with every checkpoint, it is something that we sort of have a dialogue with the product team about and adapt to. How do you how do you define? You're kind of talking. You mentioned the word KPI there, which is like the right. most boring the measuring word. quality. Yeah, yeah the most boring word uh, word in the world, but it's also quite important, I think. How do you define success as a producer? How do you measure quality? You know, how do you know if you're doing a good job? Because you guys are not measured on profitability. No, it's not like you've been a great department if the game is very profitable. No, in, in general, I feel that we're not measured much, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, we are, Oops. of course. <laughs> no, but um, we are. Uh, the, the thing is that we've we've had that discussion a bit in the past. Yeah. I, I don't know what the latest ideas are, but uh, we were talking about KPIs. You know, do we focus on Metacritic and user score? But then when it comes down to it, we felt like you know, I'm assigned as a producer to a project. It it could be anything from starting at the very start of the project and then working on it for four years and then releasing it mm. uh, to coming in in the latter stages, right? It could be a, a well-regarded, experienced studio. It could be a completely new studio working on a small game. The conditions are so extremely different from project to project that if we started looking at, okay, but uh, this game has 92 Metacritic and this has 85 Metacritic, that says very little about whether or not I did a good job as a producer. What we'd rather look at is, you know, constantly understanding what are the conditions here. So we're putting a producer on this project and it's uh, studios that are tough to work with mm-hmm. and they're, they're inexperienced and they need to develop a lot. Now, if, if that person manages to deliver a product to begin with and a product that is really good, mm-hmm. 
then that is uh, a great achievement, even if the Metacritic is 85 or 82 or 80, right? Um, and we all know Metacritic and user score in itself doesn't always correlate strongly with profitability. Yeah. So I feel like more we... quality, to be honest. I mean, irrespective <laughs> of how you define quality. Yeah, no, I think I think I think the one thing that I have can can bring to bear is that over the years we've cancelled many projects, mm-hmm. and one of the some of the best cases of when producers have been most successful have been in those cases. Yeah where they've managed to identify and bring to light a situation that could have ended up very poorly. Yeah. So you, as, a, as a producer, you've done your best job on a product that ends up being cancelled and that's success as well. Not only it became a very good product and sure. made a lot of money. Yeah. So there's That's a great sides. point. And I can give you a personal anecdote on that. You know, from Paradox, we, we had a project that was, uh, that was greenlit and it started production, went into production. Uh, then when I joined the product uh, project, you know, after a couple of months, it became obvious here that there were some things were not making sense. Like the studio wasn't being given the conditions that they needed to succeed. And it wasn't clear what the expectations were on a high level of what the product was supposed to be. And that was a case where the project was never announced. It was never given a score. And it wasn't talked about much after, with me at least. Uh, but the way we handled it from our side was as exemplary. Uh, we ended up in a situation where the studio understood the decision. I, I went over to the studio and held a Q&A and presented, you know, explained everything to them. Why are we canceling this project? How does this go back, you know, years? Uh, what mistakes did we do with publishing? What could you guys have done better? We had a very honest discussion and they understood the decision. You're never going to be happy about a cancellation, but that's the best that you can expect. Now, I think that's a tremendous job from Paradox. Yep but it doesn't show in any KPI, right? Exactly, because the alternative would obviously be not to make that tough call and let the project yeah. run to completion, and then you will, you will probably end up with a game that um, you know, either didn't meet the quality targets we had set for it or didn't bring in enough money. Yeah. So making those tough calls is, is... We talked a little bit about this with Jacob as yeah. well. The, the product manager was in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but mm-hmm. that's really... That's the value, like yeah. having the... You know, stomach to make those. Yeah. Continuing the toilet theme here, for, to, for to sure. Make those tough decisions. <laughs> can, right? can I ask? Was this the project I emailed you about? Okay, so this is this is actually fun. We can't talk about the project, but this ties back to what we spoke about, like producers being in a position where they're not technically in charge of the business, but they are tangentially involved with everything that is important for business to be able to make uh, informed decisions. Yeah. So this particular project, I emailed him and asked. So what could we do to potentially salvage this? Like, and I asked him, put on the business development hat. The sky's the limit. There are no limitations. What could this be salvaged into? Because I can't answer that question as a business developer. I need to build a business case, but I don't have enough facts. And it's going to take weeks for me to get into all the minutiae, what the code state is at, what's the design level at, the art, blah, blah, blah. So... So producers end up in a unique situation where they have to do those things. Yeah. But but can we come back to maybe talking about quality? I know that previously at the, the par- uh, at Paradox, when we start projects, and between 2000, 2014, we released a number of games that were not up to the level of quality we wanted. And after that, we said that we need to increase quality. And if you look at the Metacritic rating average for Paradox, we've been 
highest or second highest for the mid-tier publishers a couple of consecutive years. So it's really paid off. And that discussion also started with, well, how do we, what is quality and how do we measure quality? Well, you know, obviously the answer came up with is scores, review scores. And, and we started looking at Metacritic and we said, well, fewer and fewer sites are using scores to begin with. And when you're running games as a service, which we essentially essentially are, what doesn't matter if you get a one-time score when the game is released? The the score of CK2 in February of 2012 matters very little yeah. today, I'd say. So we started also looking at user score. But at the same time, we also see that user score is something that's very uh, fickle and changes a lot. So what's how do you talk about quality? And how, do you have... What, what makes a game an 80-plus game versus a 90-plus game? And how do you trans you know, uh, translate that into business implications? Is it just a matter of higher budget? Mm-hmm. So I would say that one thing that we focus on is is we, we put our effort and thought into creating the right conditions. We have this belief that if you have these, uh, if these things click, such as an experienced studio, and the studio has the right attitude and openness and trust towards us, and they have just the pure time that they need to deliver something good and, and to refine it and clean it up and bug fix it. And uh, they have the resources, they have the personnel and the competence they need to achieve this. We believe that's what's going to result in a good product, right? Not always, and, and you can manage without those as well. But there's a very strong correlation. And so, you know, it's interesting because coming from, from a, a Ubisoft background, working at a project that has like 700 developers, 600 QA, like 1,000 uh, support people in different organizations and then coming here and then working with smaller studios sometimes newly formed studios new teams and and seeing that these guys don't always have a reference point you know, to us it's obvious that you need this much time or that much effort or these resources but to them it's like yeah i think we could make a game in half a year why not but to us, it's like it's been empirically pr- proven over and over again that, you, you know, these are the things that you need to do in order to be successful. And so to the extent that we can and the budget allows it, we try to replicate those good conditions to deliver a good product. And then, of course, um, an, an, another side of it is, is looking at what's the game design here and l- understanding the segment, the genre and uh, the sort of market for it right now. So if you told us we want to make another, you know, just a, you know, Command & Conquer clone, we have a certain understanding of how much, uh, like, it could be the best game ever, but that's when business comes in, right? It doesn't necessarily sell well. Exactly, because it's an RTS. And <laughs> RTSs are dead. I'm not going to say it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. No, but exactly. And, uh, um, but you mentioned you mentioned your. Um, I think I think just one point on the the user scores uh, thing is interesting, and review scores as well for this that part. I think this is something we've talked about in the podcast previously. But from a from a marketing perspective, it's it's becoming very clear to us uh, now that uh, so review scores are important when we're releasing new IP. So when we're launching new games into the marketplace, it's very clear. Like this is this is the kind of stuff. New product can, or new IP? Uh, so, okay, so kind of both. Um, and, and what I'm really saying is that it's about acquiring new users, right? 
It's about it's about making a new audience interested in, in sure. your game. So theoretically, that if you don't have an established track exactly. record, exactly, if you don't have an existing promise. community around the game, sure. it's important because it brings uh, attention and it brings new people in. It is it, right? something people look at yes. as a part of the decision making process. But for e an EU yeah. expansion, no, we we see that very clearly. We see a very clear correlation between like strong reviews and strong day one sales. It's very clear. However, once a game is established and live as it were which is the case for all of our grad strategy games for example uh, except for imperator which hasn't been released yet it doesn't matter at all so like it, it, from, from a sales perspective it right. really doesn't matter how the, the you know the most recent stellaris expansion reviews that is not a factor that really impact sales impact sales in because we have an established exactly. pedigree and you, can, you can read that in many ways you can say see that as like you know uh our fan base and us, we understand the game to a depth that because we've spent like thousands of hours in it that a reviewer doesn't because a reviewer is under time pressure and a reviewer needs to talk to like a new audience. And it's really hard to make sense of something like Solaris Megacorp for like a new player because it it only makes sense as part of a live service, right? Um, User scores are, I think, function in a similar way but the, 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 the problem or the, the issue with user scores is that, and I think this is pretty apparent to anyone who's been following discussions around these things online, is that user scores today function less as a quality metric and more as a forum for debate and discussion. So communities tend to use user scores to make a point. Yeah, you know, either towards the developer or towards each other, They're or political whatever. tool or opinion. Yeah, exactly. Tool. I'm not necessarily sure that we should. It's always political, but no. it's like it's used to prove or make a point, right? It, it's not directly correlated to the the no. enjoyment. Is, is this product is it worth, worth my money? Purchase? Yeah. That's not really what it's about. I think it's I about saw sending the, a message, yeah. right? I saw the uh, tweet the other day where somebody just wrote video games and had a screenshot of somebody of a Steam user score. And somebody had played the game for 2,200 hours and had gave it a negative. Yeah. They just but say no. I think for us, because uh, we're, we're having sort of recurring issues with, with review bombing, as we call it, on, on our expansions for, for our live titles. And that's obviously like frustrating and, and it's something that's really difficult for us to deal with. But the way we tend to try to understand it is this is a feedback tool yeah. for the community. This is the, our community telling us that they're unhappy with this or that and whatever. And that's obviously super important. And it's something that puts pressure on us to listen to our fans and try to give them what they want. But it's not necessarily a quality metric. It's not how the studios or development teams should be measuring their work. No, exactly. So what are they moving towards? What make, would make sense for them to measure instead of to, to understand if they're building a quality product or not? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I will second first what you said on, on that. When we sit with the studio and we look at these reviews, we think of it as 95% of players are too busy playing the game yeah. and the ones leaving reviews are trying to make a point. And so we do focus on that. We look on that more as a communication tool. I think that... So I think you answered it. You said that the, the, you, what you look at is how many people are playing the game. Yeah, that is exactly. one of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How many... Uh, the retention and how many people buy. The, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That goes into business, people right? People keep so coming back. Yeah. yeah. Are people spending money on this game? Are people having fun with this game? Are they spending time in it? If the answers to those questions are yes, I would argue that's a quality product. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Good. Uh, problem solved. Problem <laughs> solved. And it actually does mirror what we say on the business side and like evaluating who's a good partner, people who have repeat business. If you have the same partnership over and over again, that's an indicator of something. And if you keep moving on to new folks all the time, it's it's an indicator of something else. 
So, Ashkan, you mentioned briefly that your background is with uh, Ubisoft. Uh, would be super interesting to hear a little bit about the differences. Uh, you know, what's it like working there? What, what did you do at Ubisoft? Maybe start there. So, I started at Ubisoft Massive in, in southern uh, Sweden, yeah. where we were working on the division. So, I was part of the sort of um, core team at Massive. Uh, we had several studios that were also helping us develop the game. Um, I was there for a year as a project coordinator, uh, and then I switched over to uh, the headquarters of of Ubisoft, which lie in Paris, and uh, took the position that I have, similar position as I have now. Um, And there I also worked as an associate line producer on The Division and as a line producer on a few other projects that were usually cancelled. Games industry. So... um, so there are some really key differences. I mean, f- first of all, you have to understand that Ubisoft is a lot of different studios and yeah. business offices, right? So there's no answer on how Ubisoft is in general. But, um, you know, Massive was the sort of very typical Swedish to me. Like it had, had a lot of the Swedish values and the openness and a lot of trust and so on. Uh, so it wasn't too different from how Paradox functions or how a lot of Swedish studios function. Uh, they did have a very strong focus on their ambition mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, sometimes you work with studios that that like what they're doing and they're doing it well then you have studios like Massive who are want to be the best in the world they're, they're consciously working towards being the biggest and the best studio on the planet on like a specific thing right like on a particular type of game or a particular genre yeah, yeah. yeah they have to uh, narrow their focus yeah. somehow right so you could see that in their sort of ambition and how they were communicating with, with HQ and how, how grandiose of a product they wanted to make how much I mean I'm not a, in favor of overtime of course but especially at the smaller stages of the studio you're going to have a lot of people doing a lot of overtime and putting their passion into the project uh, working out well for them so far uh, wish them all the best. Uh, then at HQ, um, it has some cultural differences for sure from Sweden. And you also have to remember that, uh, you know, the headquarters in, in Paris uh, has a lot of the sort of older structures in it, a lot of the older employees. And I was on the same floor as, you know, the CEO, the CFO, the CCO, etc. Um, and so uh, it's much more corporate than Paradox in that sense. Um, it's it's uh, it can be rigid in some ways. It's, it's harder to change some things. Uh, it can take a long time to earn trust uh, with the right people, so that you can change certain things. Um, and um, overall, I really enjoyed my experience there. Not living in Paris, to be honest. Paris is not a very livable city, <laughs> but <laughs> for someone like me, um, for reference, it's currently like a couple of degrees below freezing outside it's kind of snowing <laughs> raining uh, the sort of horrifying mix of wet mush falling from the skies yeah but there but are no corn cobs on the ground you, <laughs> corn no cobs on the ground yeah no I mean obviously we've got to remember that Ubisoft has 14,000 employees yeah. and we have 400 so. yeah Exactly. So uh, I think that, uh, don't get me wrong, I think Ubisoft overall is my favorite publisher outside of Paradox. Hey, like yeah. Major publisher, I mean. I, I, there are a lot of small ones, I don't know. Uh, I think if you look at their stable of products, it's amazing, incredible how well through co-development oh, yeah. they've managed to develop this stable of products compared to EA, let's say that I, uh, yeah. No, yeah. So, <laughs> moving on, talking in the moving on. Yeah, yeah, moving yeah. on. Um, no, so, well, um, so the differences are, you know, the size, uh, the sort of rigid structures that come with being corporate. What that means also is a lot of specialization. Yeah. If you look at how things work here, we have fewer roles, and I, I, as a producer, do a lot more things than I would 
I did do when I was at Ubisoft. My focus was very narrow there. And so it also means here we have, through, uh, between these rather few roles, we have a lot of communication, a lot of openness. And, you know, one of our pillars is get shit done. Yep. So even if it isn't strictly inside a role, we, we do it anyway. But there it is a lot more like like a bit of machinery, right? And so that works well for a lot of people, and they do an amazing job, right? Uh, for me, I personally enjoy the current setting that, that Paradox has. Cool. Good stuff. Time's running out. Yeah, it's a good talk. Do we have any final questions for Ash? No. What are you, what are you looking forward to playing next year? You mean new games? Yeah, yeah uh, or old games. Uh, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 for sure. I want to get into that. It's a, it's a massive... You want undertaking. another day job? That's what you're saying? <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> it is a massive undertaking for sure. So uh, I, I, us- I recently bought a PS4 Pro just oh. to get a bit of the... I think it's 2K maybe that, okay. that it's on the PS4 Pro. So uh, Super HD magic. Yeah, I look cool. forward to it. Fantastic. Good stuff. All right. Um, as always, uh, thanks, Ash, for coming, uh, uh, for joining us in the studio. Super interesting uh, to talk to you. Uh, thank you, Shams, for, <laughs> for being here. Thanks to everyone who's listening. Um, as always, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on the Paradox Forums. Uh, there's a thread there now where you can uh, post. You know, j- post and join in the discussion about this podcast. Uh, please subscribe if you're not already doing that. We're on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, uh, you know your podcast platform of choice. Uh, and we'll be back again with season three of the podcast at some point in January, I think. It we'll... could be season four. I don't know how we've uh, no, chopped it I, up. I'm pretty sure it's three, actually. Yeah. This was two, because this was the season where we promised guests. And yeah, we obviously we delivered on that. So okay. we need to come up with something new for okay, season three. But we'll sure. figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, have a great uh, you know, New Year and Christmas. Happy break. holidays. Happy holidays. And we'll see you next year. Bye. Bye. Bye.